Blog Talk Radio.
we'd like to introduce to you our political panelists and analysts for today's program. So at this point in time, we can get started with our party. Again, we welcome you again to Africa on the Move, and we'd like to welcome Brother Haki to Africa on the Move. Welcome, Brother Haki. Brother Africa, thanks for having me. Um, you know, another day in the neighborhood. Uh, you know, I'm thinking, you know, that, you know, of course, you know, my thing is all about institution building. And I'm, I read an article recently which talks about the pervasiveness of racism, and it got me thinking. Um, but let me just share a little bit of that article because I thought it was extremely enlightening in terms of the kind of real paradox we face in terms of the propensity of uh, people who proclaim themselves liberal to embrace racist uh, policies. In any event, there was a poll that was conducted to access the, the level of trust people in the U.S. have toward its institutions. Uh, the poll took a more in-depth look, specifically at Trump, work, excuse me, voters' views toward political social institutions compared to democratic-leaning individuals. Focusing on perceived liberal institutions, liberal institutions being journalists, professors, scientists, it contrasts these liberal uh, perceived institutions with institutions perceived conservatively. Conservative institutions being police, Supreme Supreme Court, and the federal government. Now, the polling results reveal what had long been suspected, that Trump supporters view both liberal institutions and conservative institutions as untrustworthy. But most trust toward police, Supreme Court, and federal, uh, federal government was very, very apparent. Now, ironically, the poll concluded Democratic supporters trusted conservative institutions, uh, conservative institutions being the police, Supreme Court, in the federal government in equal numbers compared to the conservatives. Now, more importantly, the poll conveyed Democratic leading individuals trusted the Supreme Court more than Trump supporters, hmm. presumably uh, much more conservative people. Now, interestingly, these same conservative institutions, in this case, we're talking about police, Supreme Court, and federal government, have consistently and historically been in, for, in the forefront in terms of perpetuating oppression of African people and poor people. How could it be democratic-leaning people could embrace institutions that routinely dispense injustice toward African people and or poor people in the society? I'm reminded of Dr. Martin Luther King's quote back in, back in the 60s in which he talked about white liberals putting comfort before justice. Now, the supposition can easily be drawn of uh, the oppression of Africans and of poor people in society is not the problem of the liberal elite. In fact, it can be surmised that the systematic oppression is not a priority your benefits of whiteness is compromised on any level. Now, the paradox here is pretty clear about the Africa, and that is that white liberals does not always support African liberation. If this be true, then only is on African people to strategize to create those methods in terms of true empowerment. Now, recently here, there was a situation with a little, little, little uh, four-year-old queen uh, who was talking about how much she hated herself in terms of being ugly. Uh, the young sister's name was Ariana. Now, unfortunately, when we got this kind of situation happening in the African community, where little four-year-olds internalize self-hatred at such an early age, uh, it speaks volumes in terms of just the kind of exposure that these little children are being uh, privy to. So if we have that kind of exposure on that level that can impact a four-year-old at that level where they're crying and see themselves as ugly, then we have a problem. Then it seems to me it's coming upon African people to say, listen, these are the objective realities that our people are facing. Now, what can we do to counter you know, uh, those strategies. If we do nothing, if we continue to acquiesce in terms of what's going on in society, then we pay the price for our acquiescence. So we have to understand that in order to, 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 to fight this adversary, we have to strategize. We must have institutions. But having said that, I want to thank you again, Brother Africa, for having me. Again, welcome, Brother Haki. Next, we will go to Brother Jabari, and we will welcome Brother Jabari to Africa on the Move. Welcome, Brother Jabari. 
thank you for having me be part of the program. It's good to um, be able to have the honor and privilege of taking part, but you're probably rather a researcher. Looking forward to another insightful program. Peace to my fellow panelists and listening audience. On your Bobby, we never bring in Brother Moses. Brother Moses, welcome to Africa on the Moon. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Brother Africa, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice, including the panelists. And uh, my name is Robert Andrew Moses. I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there is one God, Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. And thank you once again, Brother Africa, for allowing me to be on the show. And we welcome you as well, Brother Moses. And next we have with us Brother Maurice. Brother Maurice, welcome to Africa on the Move. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Africa. And, and thank you to all my fellow panelists for having me here tonight. Um, I'm looking forward to another another powerful show. Thank you for having me, brother. All right, panelists. Let's get down 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 to the core in terms of what we want to do today. Right now, like always, we know there are so many things going on around the world. There are so many things that may be going on in your world. And we know one of the best ways to resolve problems is to communicate and share information. So what we're gonna do right now, we got each one each one of y'all starting with brother High Key. Share with the listening audience what's going on in your world and the community, Brother Haki. Yeah, a couple of things, Brother Africa. First, uh, let me mention African Awareness be taking a trip to Cuba. The trip takes place July 24th to July 31st. And we encourage people to go to see for Cuba for themselves, you know, what makes Cuba such a great place. Uh, one of the things is that when we look at the uh, real political social problems that exist in this society, at some point we've got to begin to ask ourselves why, this, why these problems exist. Well, Cuba has actively uh, created institutions to combat a lot of these human problems that we find so prevalent here in America. And so, therefore, understanding the, the interplay between those institutions and the way people behave is so important. And Cuba does such a wonderful job in terms of creating institutions that empower human beings that it's something that we can learn immensely from. So I encourage people, you know, firsthand to go to Cuba, forget what everybody else say, go to Cuba and see for yourself. Engage in dialogue, a discourse with the Cubans in terms of, you know, your perceptions of things, uh, your perceptions of Cuba, your perceptions of the two systems. Go to Cuba and see for yourself firsthand. I'm sure you'll be amazed at the kind of things they're doing in Cuba. So, again, we encourage people to go and see Cuba for themselves. Now, for more information, we encourage you to give us a call at 804-549-7492 or area code 202-714-9435 or email us at African Awareness Association all one word, number two, at gmail.com. Uh, the second thing, Brother Africa, is that, you know, I, I just, and let, me just, let me just preface what I'm about to say by saying that, you know, I understand, you know, that when we, when we talk about politics in the context, you know, capitalist system, uh, that clearly, you know, uh, none of these systems, uh, whether it be Democrat or Republican, are geared toward the, uh, dealing with the, with the essence uh, of the problems that people face in society, because we understand in the context of capitalism, this is all about power. It's all about who controls the economics. And so in that context, it's clearly the system is, is sort of uh, indifferent to the suffering of human beings in the society. I understand that. But having said that, let me just point out one of the things I find ironic, though, in terms of this whole political arena, that you've got a situation where this is a constant attack by the so-called democratic uh, leadership uh, against Bernie Sanders. 
Now, they're very interesting that they would continually attack Bernie Bernie Sanders. And the question is, why is this, why is this, why is this continuation in terms of attacking Bernie Sanders? They're all Democrats, at least that's, that's what they say. But So why they attack? What is it about Bernie Sanders that scares the hell out the, the so-called mainstream Democrats? Uh, part of it is the fact that he talks about you know democratic socialism. In, in other words, what he's talking about, he's talking about a situation in which you actually use the resources of the land to redistribute it to make sure that things are getting done. So things like infrastructure, things like access to affordable housing, things like quality education, things like health care, uh, things like uh, school, uh, you know, quality, you know, quality schools uh, for, for for young people, daycare and such. Uh, he, he's talking about reprioritizing how money is spent. And clearly that scares a hell of a lot of people in the power, whether they be Democratic or Republican, because essentially what they're saying, they're imposing those kind of uh, those kind of uh, a policy. Then what you're saying is that you're willing to cut uh, the kind of uh, access to wealth that the powerful have. They don't want to hear that. The other thing is all about maximizing as much wealth as they possibly can. In order for them to maximize wealth, that means there has to be immense poverty, increasing, increasing, uh, exponentially more poverty. And so, therefore, you see Bernie, 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 uh, me, Bernie Sanders as an existential threat. Now, also, one of the things that's interesting, when they also when they talk about reaching out to, to the voters in, in American society, I find it very interesting. You have over 100 million people who don't vote simply because they realize the process is corrupt, so they don't participate. So it behooves the Democratic Party to actually articulate a message which uh, impacts the 100 million people who are not voting. But that's not what they're doing. What they continue to do is to talk about voting as it pertains to, so quote-unquote, the middle class. But, see, even if you win the middle class, it's not going to win you the nomination. So what you need is that 100 million people who are not voters. The only way you can get them is crafting a message which resonates with the 100 million people. The Democratic Party is absolutely opposed to crafting a message which benefits the 100 million people living in society. Bernie Bernie Sanders' message at least resonates with the 100 million people. So if if he gets that message out and you get that 100 engaged to 100 million million voters, then you're assured of, of defeating the orange minutes. You know, so it's, it's so I find it ironic that these same Democrats who say they are concerned about the masses or the aspirations of the masses of people continue to browbeat uh, Bernie Sanders. And lastly, brother, let me just say this, brother African. Now I'll close with that. Also, I suspect that the ruling class, is, as the Democrats are concerned, I think one of the biggest concerns when we talk about equity, uh, clearly you can't talk about equity in society without talking about you know, restructuring taxes. Now, for, for the longest period, uh, the wealth have been used in taxes, particularly corporations, uh, to buy back their stock, you know, elevating the price of that stock, and so therefore there's more profit to be had. But of course, in doing so, that that profit never gets to the real economy. In other words, those kind of kind of things that people need, whether it be infrastructure, or or, or so, so affordable housing, or whatever it is, that kind of money never reaches those individuals. And so, as a consequence, all the money stop at, stuck at the top. Uh, ironically, with the money being stuck at the top, it does a, it does a, it has a deleterious excuse me deleterious impact on the overall function of the economy. Actually, it causes the economy to shrink. It doesn't do anything in terms of expanding the economy. So clearly, Bernie Sanders uh, uh, running for the presidency uh, poses a real problem in terms of exposing those people, whether it be in the Democratic or Republican Party, in terms of the kind of uh, malfeasance that exists when it comes to, to articulating policy. So to the extent that policy doesn't affect uh, uh, poor people in society, Bernie Sanders' policies make that very, very clear, and I think that's an implicit threat uh, that Bernie, Bernie Sanders poses in terms of those people in positions of power. And I'll close with that. 
Thank you, Brother Haki. Next, we're going to hit Brother Jabari. Brother Jabari, what's going on in your world in the community? You know, I was I was having a discussion earlier in terms of the history of policing, and some people wonder in terms of the myriad of issues we see in terms of the people and the police while we have said issues. The thing that we got to understand, and I opened up this discussion with my fellow panelists as well, when you look at the origin of policing, policing comes from the concept of the plantation and its property needed to be protected. So you had individuals that were dedicated to do that called the slave patrol. Eventually it evolved into policing as we know it today. And what I was trying to help the person I was having the conversation with to understand is that we have these issues because historically we never dealt with this question of what was its origin and its intention and how did it become what we know it as today. There's a saying that possessions are nine-tenths of the law. They originally were created and intended to protect those, the possessions and those who own the possession. And yet again, we see there at the beck and call of those who own the possessions, and that's whose will they're going to carry out. Peace. Thank you, Brother Jabari. Finally, Brother Jabari, we bring Brother Moses. Brother Moses, what's going on in your world in the community? Thank you, thank you. Uh, I think it's it's been a uh, rather slow week in some ways uh, with this virus going around. I think uh, it's definitely becoming a, a worldwide problem. Uh, it's spreading across the U.S., uh, and that's that's been the focus. I I don't know if this is really reasonable or not, but I've been very concerned, and I've been curtailing some of my activities as a result. Uh, secondly, the the Bernie Sanders picked up Jesse Jackson's nomination, I believe, today, uh, and uh, it seems that if he can spark a grassroots movement, he has a, a good shot. Uh, but all the the power structure is definitely. Uh, coalescing around uh, Joe Biden at, at the corporate structure, everything is 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 going his way, and uh, so it's the class struggle is intensifying. Uh, I think you know as long as we continue to speak truth to power, that if we continue to explain the system and what's really going on, I think that's the great the great thing that can come out of this. Uh, if we can politicize the people and raise consciousness. Uh, those are the two big things I was thinking of. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. And Brother Maurice, what's going on in your world in the community? I uh, just want to make an update to the second annual uh, Richmond, Virginia, Kwame and Puma uh, conference. Um, the date has been pushed to June, early June, um, due to location uh, technicalities. Just want to make a, a update to that. Um, and other and other uh, news, or um, currently in the, in the community, African more more specifically African uh, community. Um, we recently had a shooting in Milwaukee in the Coors, uh, the Miller's Coors uh, factory, uh, involving an African shooting shooting up and going, killing employees, and then turning the gun on himself and killing himself due to uh, issues of racism. Now, most recently, we have a situation also similar similar to that situation going on in Kansas City at the VA hospital. 
Um, we have a, a group of 20-some employees, African employees, who doing a doing a sense of organization among themselves to uh, sue the VA hospital um, in regards of their racist, you know, their racist action towards African workers and African patients. Um, and I quote some of the article. I don't want to be too long with it on this article, but uh, basically. The discrimination claims or the discrimination against Africans has been going on for at least 15 years. So we're talking about since 2005. Um, okay, we have one person uh, of the one of the workers stated, "I don't think it's anything that's new. It's been there. Just nobody has taken an effort effort to do anything about it." Um, this was a former employee. Uh, another employee stated that some days she would literally be in a parking lot. To ready to go to work and call in, and call in to tell them that she can't make it today because she is sick. She recalled, but she literally stated this on the premise. She she literally stated that she was on the premises, ready to walk in, but she was so sick to her stomach because of the anxiety and the harassment of racism and bullying. But right now they are you know working among each other to. Uh, to form a lawsuit, and NAACP is uh, basically is going to get involved. The local branch in Kansas City uh, of the NAACP is going to get involved in that as well. So just want to uh, bring that one one um, issue that's going on. Uh, another issue that I conclude with is, I don't know, we probably all heard about this, but it's uh, some African students at the Syracuse University um, organize, had organized a uh, sit-in protest against also racism going on in the school. This racism been going on for a while, and uh, this was uh, organized by at least 30, 30 students. Um, so it's a sense we, we, we as African, and I conclude by saying this, as African, Africans, we understand that power, power is in the numbers. Um, I should say that more specifically, that this act by the Syracuse students, um, African students, this was an act of mobilization. Now, <clears throat> mobilization. Now, if we can co uh, connect what's going on at the Syracuse University and what's going on at the VA hospital in Kansas City to more of a, of a political organization, I urge these Africans involved and, and listeners that we will see a greater, a greater um, success by taking that action forward. Uh, so I conclude by saying, uh, stating that. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Maurice. At this point in time, you listen to Africa on your move. As your host, Brother Africa, what we're going to do right now, we're going to pause for a cause, and when we come back, we discuss some of these issues that were just articulated to, the, to this listening audience on what's going on now with our community and others. And we'd like to, for you to join in by calling in, calling in at 323 Six seven nine zero eight four one. So we're gonna pause for this call, and we'll be right back. This is Africa on the Moon. I 
Cause if you come from Clarendon And if you come from Portland And if you come from Westmoreland You're an African So don't care where you come from As long as you're a black man You're an African No mind your nationality I've got the identity of an African Cause if you come from Trinidad And if you come from Nassau And if you come from Cuba You're an African So don't you where you come from As long as you're a black man You're an African
back to Africa on the Move, and we also would like to remind you, you should not forget, no matter where you're born at, you are Africans, and yes, we were taken from Africa and brought to the Americas. Fighting upon our rivalry, we're still fighting for our survival. Part of the struggle is a struggle of consciousness. So what we're going to try to do right now on Africa on the Move, we're going to try to provide you with some information to make you become more conscious. Because we believe the more conscious you become, then the more responsible you will be. And the more responsible you will be, that means you will act this responsibility out in some kind of concrete manner that will manifest itself in making the conditions for our people better. We are fighting for our people liberation and unification. And we want to invite you to come and join in and help us out. And you can do that today by calling calling in at 323-679-0841. We're in the seat. We're going to take the heat. If we define it, we're going to stand behind it. We're going to speak truth through power. Come and join us. This is Africa on the Moon. So, panelists, I'd like to welcome all y'all back. And, uh, Brother Haki, I'd like to start with um, some of the things that you raised in terms of what's going on in your world community. Earlier you were talking about this question, taking a poll, that was a poll taken around the issue of trust, particularly when dealing with African people. And three of the institutions and narratives that African people don't trust is the police, the government, and who is the third one? The police, the government, and there was one more, one more, one other one you, you stated. But in terms of this issue of trust, as we talk about the police, as we talk about the government, is something wrong with any kind of African who does trust the institution of the police, the institution of the government? And that was the third one. The Supreme Court. The Supreme Court. Supreme Court. Supreme Court. Supreme Court. Yeah. Okay. Now, is something wrong with our people who does trust those institutions? Are they missing something, missing out on something? For any of our people to have any kind of faith and confidence in these institutions, given the historical legacy of these institutions as it relates to the well-being of our people. Your response, and like other panelists weigh in on it. Yeah, well, I, I think that any African who perceives those institutions favorably is an African who's misinformed. You know, for instance... We talk about the police. One of the things we talk about the brutality of the African community. Uh, understand that this is this is not happenstance. This is systematic. And the question becomes: Why is it systematic? Why is it that the federal government refuses to step in when African people are routinely killed, you know, for no reason at all, who are unarmed by the police? Why is this resistance among the African, of, among the uh, federal government, to not step in and say, "Hey, this is wrong. It must stop." Well, there's a reason why they don't stop step in and tell the police to stop it because they want it to happen. So it's all part of a broader system. And so one of the things that Brother Jabari talked about, he talked about the, the evolution of, of, of policing and courts. It goes back to the overseers in the time of enslavement. Of course, it's all about maintaining uh, us at all costs to keep us in check. And that's precisely what it's all about. And so in other words, so this notion in terms of freedom was never designed to apply to African people. And so therefore, the police are there as a constant reminder that you're not free. And so the routine killing of African people is just something that's, 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 that's part of the course. And also, we talk about, in particular, we talk about the uh, the Supreme Court. I mean, no question about that. In terms of when we talk about the, the evolution of injustice and fixing African people, a lot of times when we go back and look at some, for instance, Judge Taney at the Supreme Court, and we talk about um, black folks got no rights. 
that white folks are bound to respect. He's speaking. He's speaking. He's speaking volumes. And he's talking about, in fact, the way the society is organized. And this is the, the struggle that you know uh, that existed, you know, um, in the 17th century, exists right up to the 21st century. So nothing fundamentally has changed. So if you perceive the Supreme Court in favorable terms, uh, there's something questionable in terms of your understanding of history. Also, in the current context, when you look in terms of the conservative Supreme Court right now, people have no respect. You know, for for human rights, uh, whose whose position is that uh, the only people who have rights are people who have access to wealth. They clearly, if you don't have any wealth, then that means that you don't have any, any any access to rights. And so, therefore, they're seeing that your existence as an African person or a poor person is esoteric. In other words, you don't have a right to exist. So, for, so clearly, any African who stand up and, and proudly proclaim support for such institution. I had to shake my head. It's not much you can say about an individual like that, but say, my goodness, they're sadly misinformed. Uh, also, when we talk about um, the federal government, uh, that's, that's no question about it. Everything the federal government does is policy specifically geared toward empowering the few at the expense of the many. And also, when you talk about socioeconomically speaking, we talk about the kind of ills that impact the African community. And when you look at socioeconomics, the African people are consistently on the bottom. And the irony is that it's not its not even a function in terms of lack of education because disproportionately African people are very educated. But even though we are educated, we still find ourselves, you know, economically, socially economically speaking, at the bottom of the level, at the bottom of the barrel. So that doesn't speak to some kind of individual failing. It speaks to a systematic uh, uh, system in place to ensure that your, in terms of achieving your, your in terms of upward in society, is put in check. And so, therefore, it's a long history in terms of federal government, you know, keeping us in check to make damn sure that no matter what we do, no matter how prolific we are, no matter how intelligent we are, no matter how much we go to school, how much education we have, that we consistently find ourselves at the bottom. So clearly, you know, it's a problem. Uh, and so anybody who thinks the federal government is your friend, I can only say that, my goodness, you know, uh, what, what does it take? I mean, how much suffering, how much injustice must you endure before you, before you realize, you know, that um, the, the federal government is diametrically opposed to the interests of African people. So I'm going to say that. I'm going to say one other thing and conclude this, Brother Africa. I think somebody's going to probably say, call in and say, well, you know, <laughs> we got some black billionaires. <laughs> yeah, we do. we we got about 10 of them up to date, about 10, 10, 10, 10 uh, African billionaires. Uh, but, there's, but, there, but their success, if, if you want to say, call it success, but their access to, to capital has nothing to do in terms of the systemic uh, problems that African people are confronted with. If you think back, even during the time of slavery, you had African people who were, who were wealthy. And so, so the mere fact that you have 10 people in the African community who are doing well in terms of having access to billions of dollars, by no means imagination liquidates or denies the reality that African people as a, as a group uh, don't have access to upper mobility and, and to, to the extent that others do. So clearly, you know, uh, anybody who, who embraces, you know, the federal government or the, or the Supreme Court or the police, I can only shake my head at them. Okay, anybody else like to speak to this issue or the phenomena? Uh, if you find any African who has faith in the court system, in the government, or in the police, is there something wrong with them, panelists? I would like to speak to that um, to follow up on what Brother Haki stated. I think people. Uh, I think what people have to understand is that the class struggle inside the African community is intensifying. It had always existed, as uh, as was alluded to earlier. There were always a few Africans that 
that benefited from the exploitation of the working masses. And uh, that's intensified. And there, and there, there are indeed some African rich people, but at the expense of the poor, uh, who are the overwhelming majority. And um, you know, and wealth has to be put in context here, because just because you have, um, you know, a quarter million dollar annual income does not make you rich by any any stretch, not in this society. It might make you in some other parts of the world, but not in the U.S. Because you probably have the largest concentration of multimillionaires and billionaires in the world exist inside the U.S. And uh, regardless of their ethnicity, they're going to look out to protect their own self-interest. And I would add that uh, most of the people who uh, who support uh, the court system and the uh, a- a- and the policing inside the U.S. are probably looking out for their own selfish interests, and have aligned you know their interests with those of the ruling class of this society. Anyway, I'd like to take a stand, particularly Jabari. Your question does tie into this, this discussion around understanding the history of the institutional policing. You know that was a, you know they they did serve as slave traders, slave catchers. That's one of their jobs was to not only catch slaves but mainly to keep us in and under control. And that had nothing about nothing to do with justice and protection. And given the fact we have stated that, um. Something's going on in this education system when it comes to our youth because on a daily basis I have been a part of this process where I have observed and watched how they would tell and teach our youth that these institutions are the best institutions in the world. We should obey and honor them while at the same time when they come home that evening they look at they look at and see these same institutions doing everything against them that they can do. And they sort of conflicted. How do we get our youth out of this particular um, narrative of being confronted on a daily basis of, of of supporting and believing institutions where they clearly see on a daily basis the institutions are not supportive of their well-being panelists? So, Bob, you can speak to it. And then I'd like to have the other panelists weigh in on, on that dilemma that we mm. find ourselves in. I'm not only as students, but even as people. Well, go ahead, Brother Jabari. I'm going to... I'm glad you raised that point because I'm going to speak to that a lot of it has to do with propaganda in terms of how they do things to glorify certain principles that will help someone go far in terms of embracing these kinds of institutions. Because it's very interesting how you have a growing trend of artists who incriminate themselves or incriminate others in terms of their music. And that's something that um, is a very useful skill in terms of creating an apparatus where people can basically detail certain national cultural behaviors they may have engaged in in the open to be able to um, indict them. Then also you have to look in terms of certain popular media, a certain um, way they um, make this stuff look glorified in terms of shows like Miami Vice, et cetera, et cetera, which are clearly trying to be used as a covert recruiting tool because that's what you do. You have to make it look cool. You have to make it look appealing. You have to make it look like something they would want to buy into. 
everyone else will respond to the narrative that we find our youth in, in terms of being taught to support institutions where they live on a daily basis, or the reality that these institutions have no respect, they have no interest in their well-being. How do we get them out of this out of this 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 um, box? Well, it seems that you know we can't rely on the institutions to to explain and and uh, justify their existence uh, because they they are they are self perpetuating and it's a, it's it's a dilemma uh, that we find ourselves in where these institutions were brought up uh, to enslave us to repress us and. We have to get the youth and all people to study the the development of institutions, the development of government, the government systems in the world, and understand how they develop and how they function. Uh, it's a it's that's part of the class struggle to understand exactly where, where we are and what what we are faced with. And in order to do that, we have to study. We have to study history. We have to study the development of government. I'll just leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. Anyone else? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I will. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, Brother no, Maurice. So, yeah, the, the fight is fixed. The fight is fixed, brothers. Uh, basically, it's not a it's not a coincidence that, like, like uh, the panel, all of the panel uh, alluded to earlier, you have a you have a um, you have propaganda going on in the media. It's not it's not it's not a coincidence that majority of the music nowadays is about you know sex, drugs, and alcohol. Then you turn around, just look at our schools, and the schools are what they call school of uh, prison pipeline. Um, and, and, and then you you know then you look at the like like uh, Bugs Bar alluded to earlier, making it look cool in every cop movie or cop show. You know, uh, most recent Bad Boys Three you got Martin Lawrence and Will Smith. They look like uh, you know, glorified them as superheroes or Shaft. You got Shaft. Um, Samuel Jackson's in the movie Shaft, <laughs> and he's making it cool to be, you know, uh, in a, a form. I'm not. I'm not even gonna say uh, pro pro black man, but just basically a ladies man, and he's shooting here badasses, so you can be a cop. You know, <laughs> basically glorifying that. Um, in the pro- propaganda, but you know, like I said, the fight has been fixed. Um, this system was built off off the oppression of Africans, and the system is going to continue that narrative of oppressing Africans. Um, we are get the government. If, if we we too late at, at this point in time to thank the government, the government never did free us from slavery. It was it was the struggle of Africans um, fighting uh, for for us to get free. Um, we free, we 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 freed ourselves. Yeah, I mean Abraham. People say Abraham Lincoln um, free had the Civil War to free slaves. That that is that's definitely not true. The, um, the first and foremost goal was to uh, for labor. You know, he understood that the transition of labor was going going from slavery into this capitalist stage um, with the the factories and whatnot, getting making that making the workers. You know, making us in. Uh, basically uh, integrating uh, Africans into workers into their labor, their labor field, field, um, and the factories and what have you. So this, this is what we got to understand um, about the economic system. But right now, 
I would urge any African who who still have faith in this system to do some political, some revolutionary political education because that's the only way you're going to see the system for what it is. It's the only way you're going to understand what is going on among the, uh, you know, capitalists. And you, you will understand why black visibility is not black power. Like Brother Anthony alluded, uh, referenced on um, Common Ray last show, you will understand all of this by through, through political education. Um, that's why I would urge any African who who is listening who still have faith in the uh, in this uh, American system. You know, you, I mean, we don't see time over and over again that this system is not for us. We have to we have to get our own freedom. And it's not going to be given to us. Freedom is not going to be given to us on those uh, silver platters. Somebody give you something, you should be leery of that, especially if it's coming from your enemy. If my enemy says, oh, you want to, you're hungry, you want something to eat, there's going to be poison in it, <laughs> most, most likely. Or it's going to be something that can destroy me or destroy my health or deteriorate my health. So why would I take something from my enemy? Why would I still try to hug my enemy or try to live with, with someone who wants me to despise and don't care for people who look like me or or what have you. And, and not only that, they already came into, you know, they already came into a, uh, a main home and, and kidnapped us and kidnapped our resources and still dom- dominating um, the people on my homeland, on, on our homeland. So why would you still try to have faith in this, per- in this person? And, and, and not only that, the government and the system, even – even in politics, uh, we'll we'll try we'll put our faith into somebody who's black to vote for black mayors, uh, black police chiefs, black this, black judges, uh, Clarence Thomas. None of none of them. Uh, even the ten billionaires, uh, ten billionaires that uh, brother uh, Haki alluded to earlier. None of them have our interests at heart. None of them have the working class people at heart. None of them have the masses of African who are oppressed at heart. Their main motivation are economic interests, similar to the capitalists, and their economic interests are only achieved through the oppression of workers and African people. So until we get that understanding, you will continue. You will continue to be eluded. And I and, and I conclude: the fight is fixed. Brother Africa, can I turn back in? Yeah, Brother Jabari, the mic is yours. You know, and we're given the dynamic of what we're talking about. I think one of the main things that I think of the movie Black Panther, it was very interesting in terms of when you look at what Wakanda was capable of. Because Wakanda was very reformist, it's quite interesting how they were able to participate in mainstream politics and be able to do the things they were doing in secret without no questions or um, being invaded by those imperialist forces because they acquiesced in terms of their dealings with them, especially when you look at how they let the CIA agent even infiltrate and get the knowledge of what was going on in terms of Wakanda, and yet they wanted to use that to the masses to make that something to celebrate, going along with what Brother Maurice was saying. How dangerous is it that they allowed that the whole world was able to see witness this? Yeah, they, I agree, Brother Bobby. They gave the narrative that our enemy was our friend, and they used all the zappa, the CIA. That says a lot about their perception of our state of being in this world, the state of times, Bobby. I agree wholeheartedly. 
But you know, Brother Africa, when we talk about the question, essentially what we're talking about is how oppression works. Now, the problem is that, you know, oppression works on a conscious level uh, or rather a subconscious level. And so a lot of times trying to get people to understand their oppression is very difficult to do because it's abstract. They feel a certain way, they can't even tell you why. You know, for example, if we say uh, we run to a brother or sister who hates the fact that they're dark-skinned, and uh, you ask them, why do you hate being dark-skinned? What's wrong with being dark-skinned? Well, they can tell you, well, it's, it's, you know, nobody, nobody likes it. It's not fashionable. You know, it's not pretty. It's not blah, 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 blah. Yeah? But what they, what they don't understand is that internalizing those ideas in terms of, you know, what constitutes blackness, they don't understand that it adversely impacts their self-esteem or their ability, their, or even their ability in terms of, you know, to critique things. In other words, you know, it, it greatly impacts their intellect, and they don't understand that because it's, it's on a subconscious level. And so people are not thinking about it. They, have, they, they understand how they feel on an outward level, but deeper in them, they're not even aware that the impact that it has in terms of you know, their self-esteem, how they see themselves, how they see other people who look like themselves. So it's a very difficult thing to get, try to get people to understand. So listen, you've got a system in place which psychologically does everything you know, in its power you know, to create a certain mind, inculcate a certain mindset in African people. So you get it at schools in which certain kind of education in which you only receive information which doesn't empower, but it teaches you to be more or less uh, accepting of things as they exist. You got it, and, uh, and uh, you come home to school, to school. You come home from school. You come to home. You watch television. What do you see? More messages telling you to just to be complacent, to be comfortable with things are. And to accept, you know, your status in society, and to some extent, to continue to believe that, in fact, that uh, what you look like defines your your intellectual ability. So you get the self reinforced over and over again. And then, not to mention that you go outside of your house and you walk in community, and you see the kind of um, 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 negative kind of behavior, you know, um, enacted against African people, whether it be the police beating African folks simply because they're they're they're, they're happen to be African and, and poor. Or you see the kind of general kind of disrespect in terms of going to a store and somebody following you under, under the guise that because of the color of your skin that you're more prone to criminality or to steal. So you get this, you get the constantly get these messages. And what we have to understand is this stuff does impact your subconsciousness, and that's what we don't understand. So we try to get brothers to understand your oppression. They don't get it. A lot of brothers they don't get it. They hear you, but they really don't understand what you know. They really don't understand what the big deal is. They think you're just talking. They don't understand that what we're trying to get you to understand is that all these things impact on the way, the way you see the world, the way you see yourself, the way you see other people who look like you. And so if we don't create conditions in society to make sure, particularly to protect our children, to make sure they don't grow up with that kind of same mindset, then we shouldn't be surprised when our kids grow up hating themselves, when our kids grow up thinking that they're incapable of mastering math or science or whatever, or our kids grow up thinking that to be an African person is to be, is to be proficient in terms of criminality, or, or disrespecting one another or beating each other up and all that kind of craziness. You know, recently the situation in Brooklyn with them young brothers and sisters beat up that poor little sister, man, to take her sneakers. I mean, how, how crazy is that? How crazy is that? But yet these young people have 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 uh, internalized the idea that being somebody hinges around what kind of shoes you wear. The community has to take responsibility for that kind of, those kind of, that kind of behavior or that kind, those kind of thoughts. Because if our young people are growing up thinking that shoes determine, define who they are, then as a community, as a village, 
we're doing a piss poor job in terms of our building, in terms of conveying certain messages to our children. And if we don't create the necessary conditions to, to, to inculcate the positive values in terms of what it is to be an African person, then essentially what we're doing is going along with the system. And if we go along with the system, then we've got to understand that we're doing our children a disservice by allowing our children to grow up thinking a certain way. So this question in terms of what do we do in terms of how do we, how, how do we change these dynamics? How do we get our people you know, to begin to understand you know, that this conditioning does adversely impact the way they think? Well, it starts with, it, it starts with organization. And so we create the organizations, we create the institutions, then we can come directly at that and we get people to begin to question, begin to understand what it is. And it's only then we we'll begin to actually work together to change the conditions. Because right now we're, we're divided not just class, but also our understanding in terms of how the world works. You've got middle-class individuals in the African community who think because virtually they got their master's degree or PhD who think that somehow that uh, they're impervious, you know, to the oppression of African people. Ironically, you know, uh, of course that's absurd, but nonetheless, who believe that that piece of paper uh, uh, defines them more so than a historical reality in terms of what it is to be an African person here in the society. So we got some problems, bro. But until we until we come at that, that conditioning, uh, it's, it's almost impossible in terms of actually uh, working together to try to transform the environment that we live in. But that's the challenge that we face because if we don't transform the environment that we live in, our children won't have a chance. And this is the biggest fear that I have. And the situation has become perilous, you know, day by day. Brother Moses, talk to me. What's, what you thinking about right now? Well, uh, uh, the, the definitely we have to somehow educate our youth uh, to get this propaganda and this out of their minds. Uh, we have to counter it with uh, truth and, you know, Black and beautiful, and we we need to explain the system. I mean, we we need people who understand government and understand how government works and understand the various systems that have been been on Earth uh, since since we've been been people have been struggling to govern themselves and the pursuit of happiness and. Uh, we need to we need to study the political economies that have, that develop feudalism, capitalism, socialism. What what it means? Uh, people don't have an understanding of that. That's why you know this this red baiting is you know all you have to do is say communist, say socialism, and automatically you don't even have to make an argument after that. That's how much propaganda has been been. Uh, Inculated onto our people, and we got to counter that. Uh, it's going to take institutions, it's going to take organization, it's going to take work. Thank you, Brother Africa. Uh, yes, can I add Africa. something to that? Yeah, of course you can. Yes, uh, well, I just want to add that uh, that it's important that we take control of the education of our youth. There are too many Africans that leave the education of their children up to the school system. And we got to realize that in our, in our predicament, parents are the primary educators, not the school teacher. And uh, what I mean by that is that most, uh, in, a, in a lot of cases, the school teachers are alienated from the communities they teach in. They don't know anything about the culture or lifestyles in these communities except what except for what they've read. 
And also, a lot of the textbooks uh, that uh, carry those subliminal messages that the other panelists alluded to. That's another problem. And then, uh, and then there's there's a tendency when, when when children get home from school to put them in front of the television. So uh, so you know so the uh, you know so the thing about the we've got to take control of the education of our youth, and in most cases that means supplemental programs, you know, to supplement what they what what they're being uh, you know mistaught in school. Because uh, you know most most Africans do not have time, you know, to teach the children themselves. So you you get got to organize programs in the community that you know that will teach to you the truth of our condition, and to teach them to have a positive outlook look on themselves by teaching their true history. And uh, most of these textbooks that are used in uh, elementary and high school are intended to reinforce bourgeois values and a bourgeois perspective on history. That is why a, a lot of our youth come out confused. Well, you know, Yeah, Brother you make a great observation uh, um, in regards to the uh, education sector, um, working working inside the education uh, sector, it's definitely set up for our children to fail. It's definitely set up for our children to, you know, repeat the process of going, you know, going into jail. You, they, they, um, you know, they're growing up. You see them in the in the, in the newspaper for committing crimes, and not only that, I would, and I would also add that they set up these institutions for failure because they put any, you know, I'm just speaking. Generally, this is what this is what the the school board um, administration does. They put inexperienced principals who, like you said, who not, who does not have a connection to the community, along with teachers who does not have a connection to the community, in these schools to teach the students, and they don't they don't uh, have the relationship or the connection to discipline our students because the students don't take they they don't take these people and positions seriously. So, you know. They, 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 there you go, and then, and then the school they try to, um, you know, get the kick the student out onto a alternative school or to another another school that basically uh, continue the same process, um, the downward, you know, the downward spiral, if you will. And as for like, as for uh, individuals or organizations like ourselves or people like ourselves trying to uh, set up, um, you know, real educational uh institution in the community the community uh like i would say the local governments has has made that situation difficult a challenge as well because it's hard it's not like back in the day you can you know you just find a space or you can use a local ymca you can use a uh even a local library without membership you can just you know use a setup or a community center or a gym or you know or somebody house or a church um, and today's standard and uh, today's reality is difficult to do that to find even a space to um, you know set up to set up these educational facilities for students to learn some political you know some political education some hi- some history it's it's, it's kind of difficult um, it's even uh, of a challenge more of a challenge to do that if you don't have a local library in that community and also and not only the lo- local library 
you 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 have to have a membership, a card to access the damn computers and access the damn books within the library. So it it it, it they got it they they set it up they set it up like this for a reason and for a tactical reason. They understand exactly uh, what they're doing. Um, balkanization. That's what they do. Break up communities. Break up. Break up countries. Break up states. Uh, balkanize. That's that's what we're dealing with. So I just wanted to add that add that point. Yeah. yeah. It looks like the enemy has learned from the '60s because there were there were certain local organizations that were trying to do what I suggested, and that is set up independent, you know, programs for educating the youth. And they were popping up all over the place. Um, and let me chime in as we talk about how the education system fails us. I can remember um, recently when I was on vacation, I had access to go to a library that had I mean, resources of a global nature. And if I was to, if I wasn't a citizen of this particular location, it's ridiculous the amount of paperwork and things that I had to do to fill out just to be able to access certain materials if I just wanted to borrow them while I was in this particular locale. As if they wanted to keep it regionalized for some reason, the question I ask if it's supposed to be knowledge and this is a public library that everybody has access to, what's the point of having to go through hurdles to um, collect certain information or even having the process like that in place? Wow. You know, as we look at our situation, panelists, um, and she, I listen to what is in the world. I think one of the things we must, again, um, must keep in mind at all times, and I think it's the foundation from everything in terms of how the system has historically interacted with us and has locked us in as the child of slavery, is that, and I think we had a discussion last week, and we were talking about this concept of constitutional, when we were talking about the constitutionality of the Constitution, one thing to properly understand that rules and laws must be based upon its original intent. What was the driving force of its original intent or why certain things came to existence? And if that is true, then we never dealt with the issue that their first, their first interaction with us and conception of us, they never viewed us as human beings. We have always been viewed as property. And that has never changed because you can look at how they deal dealing with us in 2020. 2020, it all supports the original intent in terms of when they view us, they don't view us as human beings. They don't they don't understand that we have some things, certain rights called human rights. They don't understand that we need employment because they don't see us as human beings. They don't understand that we should have the right to educate our own because they don't view us as human beings. So when are we going to really address that reality of dealing with how they view us and how do we change that dynamic in terms of being from being powerless to being powerful? Let me, brother Africa. Let me let me just let me just correct some things that you said. Uh, I think it's important we set the historical record straight. Uh, in terms of their first interaction with us when they when they first came to the continent, uh, they were quite aware in terms of the achievement of African people. They understood, they knew about the universities. 
Uh, they knew about the arson. They knew about the scientists. They knew about all of that before they even before they even got there. So there was an understanding that Africans you know, had great civilization. So they, they so, the, so the European colonizers understood that. So they saw us very much as human. In fact, part of the motivation in terms of bringing us from Africa to the West was to use that that creativity, and intelligence, that the scientific know-how to build their societies. That was the motivation in terms of why they did what they did. It wasn't because they didn't see us as 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 as, as lesser human beings. They only saw us lesser human beings as capitalism became more refined. And so, we, so we talk about the the late early six late, late, the early 1700s. So when we talk about a situation in which they had to justify in terms of exploitation of African people, they had to create something to justify the exploitation. So it was then that they started talking about the fact that African people are in fact they were somehow we're not a human. And they created the sciences around that whole notion in terms of genetically, you know, being inferior. So they to justify the exploitation of our people. Okay, but to keep in mind that the wealthy people, the capitalists among the, those, those early colonialists understood the genius of African people. They knew that, but they also recognized that they couldn't express that because in order for them to export us, they had to justify ex- exploitation by saying that we're somehow less than human. So therefore, we had to put it in proper context. It's not that they always is that capitalism compels them to start thinking that way because they understood it was in their interest to paint African people as somehow less than, you know, less than human to justify the exploitation of African people. So I think it's important that we, that, we, that we make that point. But I think the much larger point that you make in terms of what do we do in terms of now, you know, that as it currently exists in the contemporary times, that they see us as somehow less than because when you look at in terms of the opportunity that exists in society, we look at in terms of the access to reasonable jobs, making a reasonable amount of, of, of labor, our wages. When you look at these kind of, when you look at these situations, then clearly uh, there's a statement being made in terms of what is it in terms of uh, what, what, what is it, how do you see African people? So clearly if you're saying that irrespective of what they do, that they don't deserve proper wages, or irrespective of what they do, they don't deserve in terms of being treated with respect, then what, then what they're saying is that, in essence, what they're saying is that you have nothing that we're bound to respect. And so that is a fundamental problem that we're confronted with. And you're absolutely right. When you go back and look at the Constitution in terms of original, originalism, in terms of those rich white folks who who created that that, that 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 document, their whole thing was clearly their whole thing was to, to pretend that African people didn't exist, and so everything they did was to empower this small sector of society, in particular wealthy white white boys, for you know uh, at the expense of everybody else. And so therefore, clearly, when we look in terms of the kind of disparagement, uh, the disparate uh, kinds of treatment that African people receive in society, they clearly there's a basis for it. And to a large extent, you're right. The Constitution plays a big part in terms of why our people are treated the way we treat it. And it seems to me that we have to begin to understand that given this reality in terms of how we are treated based upon the Constitution, you know, the Constitution is the law of the land, and, and the people are, are, are behaviors based upon, or laws and policy based upon that document. Then if that, then if that is the situation, then if you think for somehow for some reason to participate in that system is going to somehow empower you, that's fucking crazy. So you have to begin to understand that the Constitution, you know, the, the precepts of that Constitution has nothing to do in terms of not only the interests of African people, but even the, 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 the right for African people to self-actualize. So none of that stuff is talking about African people, and this is what we got to be concerned about. So unless we do something in terms of creating organizations, institutions for ourselves, we cannot truly empower ourselves to do the kind of things that we want to do in terms of, in terms of you know, advancement in, in, you know, in the society. So... That's, I'm not close with that, Brother Africa. And I, and I sharp your narrative and your presentation, your history, Brother Hackey. You're absolutely right. That was my arrow. 
So, panelists, what are we going to do? What are we going to do right now? Um, you know, we have this narrative that America is is believing this concept of democracy. They believe this concept of voting. They respect the people. That's what they said, but I'd like to get the panel response to one of the things I raised earlier about the Democratic Party and Bernie Sanders, how there seems to be a collusion among the major players and the power, power backers, brokers of the Democratic Party. They seem to have a problem with Bernie Sanders or Sanders. But Bernie Sanders is running under the banner under the Democratic Party. He agreed to be one of them. But for some reason or another, if he was such a bad person and he had bad ideas, then that must be, they must be saying the people have bad ideas because the majority of uh, working class people, rank and file folks, they seem to be those who participate in the process. They have some kind of love and support for his ideals. So why is the Democratic Party is undermining one of their own candidates at the same time, they undermine his ideals, but his ideals are being supported by half of the people that make up this whole so-called democratic process. Um, what's going on with, 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 with the narrative, panelists? That you know, that 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 narrative, something's wrong with that, because what they have done, and they have done it before many times, is, and I'm not saying there's no difference between Bernie or, or or Trump. They both both the same. It's just a form of question. But what they have done, seen to me, is they have created the situation where it's a guarantee that Donald Trump will win the election again based upon they creating their own internal contradictions to split among themselves because they feel more threatened by the ideas of Bernie than they do of their so-called enemy, Donald Trump. Response to that, to that phenomenon, panelists? Yes. Um, I think what is happening is um, as capitalism develops and the contradictions intensify, Bernie Sanders has opened opened the door for dialogue about socialism. And uh, and I think that's infuriated the ruling class because, uh, you know, they want to sell the myth through the media that capitalism is the only way to go, that there's no, that, that, that there is no alternative. And uh, by uh, by Sanders, even though he himself is not a socialist, at best he's a social democrat. Um, you know, he's uh, he's kind of like um, you know uh, created space for that dialogue about socialism to occur, which is a fury in the ruling class because um, uh, you know there are signs that uh, that if people actually knew what socialism is about and uh you know and what true democracy is they would there would be more advocates for socialism inside the US than they are right now and uh and i think um you know the the immense suffering that people have been undergoing as 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 uh as capitalism tries to maintain its control over the world, um, you know, people are looking for alternatives or in some cases giving up altogether. 
ever refusing to fight, but I think, uh, but I think the examples and the resistance put out, particularly by countries in Central and South America and the Caribbean, is showing that that, that another way of life is possible. And that's why Cuba is such a political threat to the U.S. So let's talk about Cuba in the context of this election. I would really sort of irate on the idea of they trying to tell people that if you say anything good about our beloved brother Fidel and our beloved sister and brothers in Cuba, that something is wrong with you. Panelists, let's talk about that. What y'all make? How do y'all? What do y'all make of this form of intimidation, where imperialism is trying to make our friends our enemy, our enemy our friends, and Cuba is something that all countries, people who know Cuba, understand Cuba, and live some of the reality in Cuba, we have the responsibility to protect the integrity of our brothers and sisters and the contributions that the Cuban people have made to humanity. So let's talk about, yes, Bernie, you didn't say enough. You didn't say enough about the principles and value of our beloved brother Fidel Castro and the Cuban people and their revolution in terms of many of their accomplishments for humanity. And one of the first things they realized is for any society to be to be democratic or be a democracy, it must be a conscious, educa- educated society, which means the, must, the people must have the means and ability to read and write. And that was one of the very first things they did. And, yes, that's something very noble, very noble yeah. to push and yeah. understand. But go ahead, Brother Hackey. Yeah, well, Bernie, me the 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 um, the uh, classic era, you know, of acknowledging the great things, the great work Cuba's doing. That you don't do. You you never do that. And of course, one of the things the world is well aware of that Cuba has one of the highest literacy rates in the world. I think something like ninety nine ninety nine percent of the population is literate. Now it is a it is a direct threat uh, to um, you know to 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 U.S. imperialism. And keep in mind, not only that, but any time any socialist nation throughout the world, any country is attempt to establish socialism, uh, be it Venezuela, Nicaragua, and so forth, the first thing they do is implement you know, literacy programs. And you're absolutely right, Brother Africa. Literacy, the, uh, the ability to read and write, to understand, to deconstruct, to, to see the world in a much broader context, is a direct threat you know, to the U.S. imperialism. Now, keep it in mind, when you look at America and you, and you say to yourself, in a country with so much wealth, why the hell are so many people can't read and write? What is fundamentally wrong with the society? Well, a couple of things. One, the ruling class certainly appreciate the fact that a lot of people can't read and write. Because if you can't read and write, it means you can't critique, which means you don't understand what they're doing. That is precisely what they want. Also, the lacking, the, the lacking the ability to read and write sort of foments the, uh, the, the class divide. And so, therefore, what happens is that when you go to school and you become educated, uh, and you, you learn all of these things, you read all these books, right? It's, you develop a kind of cynicism. So as opposed to looking at your brothers and sisters who can't read and write in terms of desire to want to help them, your position is that you don't care they don't read and write simply because they haven't applied themselves. And so, therefore, this whole notion in terms of propagating, you know, this, 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 this illiteracy in the American population is part of a political strategy. And that's what people don't get. And so, therefore, when Cuba, when, 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 when Cuba does such a great job in terms of teaching people to, to, uh, to read and write, the results are obvious. Cuba has the best scientists and the best engineers in the world. 
This is a small island of 11 to 12 million people. I'm some of the best scientists and, 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 and doctors and engineers in the world. And they're like, my goodness, what can we do in terms of stopping these people? Because you know what? It's inevitable that the people in America can begin to look at Cuba and say, my goodness, if the little country like Cuba can do that was poor and so-called poor and backwards, if they can do that, then why can't a country as large and wealthy as America, why can't we do that? That is a question in which the ruling class does not want American citizens to understand. They don't want them to understand that fundamentally the institutions that they serve are doing them a disservice. None of the stuff is geared toward the empowerment of, of, of the masses of people in society. All of it's geared toward the the the, 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 the marginalization, the exploitation, the oppression of people in society if you don't have money. And this is what these damn imperialists don't want people to understand. So it's incumbent upon the people themselves to understand, you know, there's a different way of doing things, different way of society can be organized. And I think that Bernie Sanders uh, uh, um, uh, running for the presidency sort of represents that, 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 that alternative in which people, people intuitively know that there is something different than what we're, we're being told is the greatest system in the world, that they understand that there's something fundamentally wrong with 1% of the population controlling most of the wealth. They know there's fundamentally something wrong with that, but they don't have access to, to affordable housing, they don't have access to education, access you know, uh, to food. They know there's something fundamentally wrong in the society, which is supposed to be the wealthiest society on the face of the earth. So clearly, yeah, Bernie Sanders made a big error when he acknowledged one of the great things Cuba are doing. And because once, once he acknowledged that, they opened the floodgate, you know, in terms of um, uh, people's curiosity, in terms of wanting to know more about Cuba. So that's why they attacked him mercilessly, mercilessly, uh, because they don't want that information out there. And, and, and I want to add, like, like to uh, to Brother Hackey's point, that Bernie, I've I, I seen one source, news source, that stated that Bernie, uh, he made this comment. In the 1980s, when he was mayor of, of Burlington, so that tells you how, how how serious it is when they, you know, when the uh, powers that be, dog all the way back to the to the, to the 80s, damn near 40 years ago, to um, you know, to to bring this up on 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 Bernie Sanders, like damn, you got that much hate against Cuba, little old Cuba, quote unquote. So I just wanted to add that point to uh, brother brother Hackey's uh, point. Well, I would have to say we have to question any African who will come in opposition to anyone who give praises to the contribution that Cuba have made to their people and for humanity. We would have to look at them as being the enemy to African people. Because when you talk about Cuba, you talk about a country right now has created opportunity for any African in this country who want to acquire their knowledge and their discipline to major medicine, they can do this free of charge in Cuba. And we know that they have one of the better medical infrastructure system in the world when it comes to producing doctors. Whereas right here in the United States, the avenue to become a doctor in this country is very difficult. And most Africans will not get access to this education. So how do we so how do we look at Cuba as something being bad? Brother, Brother Africa. Brother Africa, don't you know don't you know socialism doesn't work. The brother 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 sister tell you, well socialism doesn't work, you know, it just doesn't work. 
you know, um, it's interesting. It's a real irony that you say it doesn't work, but yet every time countries around the world develop social systems, they're attacked ruthlessly by America. If it doesn't work, then what is the threat? Think about that for a minute. If socialism doesn't work, then you know what? I'll let them go ahead with the socialism because I know it's going to fail. If I was an imperialist, I'd say go ahead and let them do socialism because it's going to fail. I know, but, but they know better than that. See, the imperialists know better than that. They know better than that. They know the, 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 the benefits and attributes that socialism brings to society. They empower, truly empowers in the people. They know that. This is the intrinsic threat when you start talking about socialism. This is why the Cuba and countries like Cuba have to be relentlessly attacked because they understand that. And so when we look at a situation in America where, where, where kids are not performing to their, to their, to, to their abilities, you know, then, then clearly when we talk about institutions' impact on kids' ability in terms of understanding significance in terms of academics, then we understand that these institutions facilitate, they foment this, this, this apathy toward education. It's no mistake that kids, by trying to turn 12, all that intelligence they possess gets dissipated. It's all by design. And I know people say, well, you know, people may say, well, Brother Haiki, you know, that's a bit much. You don't say it's all by design. I mean, what, what role does the individual play in terms of, you know, lack of motivation when it comes to education? Well, the thing I would say to people that you got to understand, you know, you know, children, you know, are products of their condition. You know I mean, if you create conditions which are favorable to education, then one thing happens. Kids tend to value education. If you create communities that are geared toward education, kids out of those communities tend to be very well in terms of education. Conversely, if you have negative influences in those communities or in that home or wherever, then it's going to negatively impact on that kid's perception in terms of the importance of education. It's very, very simple. It's not, it's, it's not it's, you know, it's not trigonometry. It's very, very simple. It's very, very simple. But the parents understand that. This is the reason why they keep on attacking socialism, because they understood, understand that imagine in America you have a, 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 a literacy rate of 99% in America. Do you think for one second that these politicians would do what they're doing, the exploitation that exists in society could exist, that people in society, or 99%, 99% of the people were truly literate? It wouldn't happen. It couldn't work. Because first and foremost, they would elect representatives who truly represent their interests, because they understand what's at stake. Secondly, they will move in concert because they understand that all the way to impact change, they have to work together. All that is the direct result of terms of being able to read and write. So their motivation is to make damn sure that people don't read and write. And one of the reasons why you look at the African experience in America, you got to understand, why do they forbid our people from even learning? Why is it we get killed simply for reading a book? Why is that? Why would they kill African people simply for reading a book? You're not hurting anybody, just reading a book. They understood that that book knowledge is power. And by keeping that, that, that power out of the hands of African people, they're much e- African people are much easier to control. And the strategy is the same. It's just more complex now. They do it now in terms of social economic uh, institutions to facilitate the kind of appetite toward education, which, which in slavery times, they simply killed you if they caught you with a book or even if they thought you were reading a book. So clearly, you know, Cuba does great things simply because it understands that in order for its, in order for you know, for for, for its citizens to reach their highest potential at a very basic level, they have to learn to read and write. The people in America are beginning to ask themselves, why the hell in America, the richest country, in the so-called richest country in the world, why the hell are so many people can't read and write? What is fundamental wrong with that picture? Then you understand why socialism is a threat to imperialism. You know, one of the, um, yeah, go ahead, brother Anthony. 
Oh, no, it's Brother Marvin. Sorry, just real quick. Uh, and and to add to that point, you have George Washington Carver, a scientist, who 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 was who who considered himself a socialist. You had uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Albert Einstein, who considered himself a socialist. These are scientists who considered themselves socialists and knew that the socialist system was the best system, economic system system for people, for our people. Uh, and like, and, and to add to uh, Brother Hakeem's point, like, why, you know, Cuba, if Cuba's so bad, why do they go around the world? They didn't go around the world creating military bases. They went around the world providing uh, medical training, technical training. They went to Africa to to provide to provide technical and medical training. They went down to South America to provide medical and technical training. They went around the Caribbean to provide medical technical training. Why, when uh, Fidel Castro came to the United States of America, he didn't go stay at the Marriott. <laughs> he didn't go stay at, he didn't, hell, he didn't even go stay at the uh, Holiday Inn. You know where he went to stay at? He went to stay in the uh, Black Hotel. I, I, the name uh, escapes my mind right now, but he, he went to Hotel Teresa. Yeah, yep. And that's the hotel he went to stay in. Stayed in. He didn't go talk to, uh, you know, he didn't go make a, make a, um, at the White House, he went to the Avicennial Church, Adam Clayton Power Church, right? Church in, in uh, inspired influence from Africa, right? That's what that's where he uh that's where that's where Fidel Castro went. He, in other words, he went to the people. He went to the uh, African people. That's that's why they, they talking about Cuba so bad. Where did where did where, where do um political freedom fighters go? Who 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 home? Where do, you know who where do they go when they're under attack? That is American American uh, government or American state. Where they go? Where they go? They Fidel Castro provided them asylum in 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 Cuba, right? So this this is what uh, the people got to understand. And there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, I would say positive, if you will, propaganda coming out in Cuba uh, in regards to one documentary that I've seen, and it's, it's available on uh, on the Comcast on cable uh, on the on demand streaming services. It's called the, it's called Cuba and uh, something about Cuba and black people, something like that. And it's black students, um, you know, basically going to Cuba and they doing they doing a documentary on how you know the services that Cuba does, all of the, the great work that Cuba does, and 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 and, and interview the people who live and work in Cuba and how they are so proud of their country, Cuba. Um, this is a documentary that's available right now on Comcast. So. I would say that America. I mean, there's only so much you can do to um, hold back the information or to keep the uh, uh, the African people or the people in America blind to the fact of what's really going on. Um, the cats is getting the cats is coming out of the bag. Um, yeah, the fight is fixed, but the cat is coming out of the bag. I mean, we are becoming more aware. Uh, it's, uh, platforms like this. Um, uh, bringing awareness to the people, and you can't stop it. I mean, it's it, you, you can't stop it. At, at this point, you can't stop it. it the, uh, the, tr- the truth is coming out, and um, the political, political education is rolling, and it's going to continue rolling. And, and, and the American imperialists, capitalists cannot do anything about it. So that's why they're doing everything they can to, um, you know, speed up their, you know, this propaganda machine and iPads and cell phones and your dishwasher can talk to you, you know, all of this, uh, all of this type of
technology. That's why they're stepping it up because they know that this 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 political education, this movement is rolling. We ain't backing down. If you would do a comparative analysis between the two systems and how the people function and operate under the two systems, you did a balance sheet of assets and liabilities. You probably you will find a picture of with a cubo you have many positive assets. Whereas if you look at America balance sheet you have just a lot of liabilities. For example, can anyone explain the phenomenon of why there's such a large amount of mass killing inside the United States, so called citizens shooting and killing each other up. They shooting and killing their own biological families. They shooting and killing their co workers. You don't hear nothing like that exists in Cuba. How do you explain that <coughs> sociologically, psychologically, economically, politically? Economic. How do you explain that? Um, in addition to economics, I would say it's primarily, uh, you know, uh, the level of education that the, that, that, that Cubans have. And the fact that they've been trying to build a socialist society for 60 years, they, uh, because of the relentless tax of, uh, by U.S. imperialism, Cuba has had to pay a great deal of attention to ideological development, in my opinion. So they, spent, they expend a lot of effort in the educational system in terms of uh, not only teaching people how to read and write, but how to, uh, you know, but also in terms of transforming human behavior. In other words, uh, you know, uh, it's a common uh, uh, philosophical tenet of capitalism that 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 this is a dog eat dog world. That's only in capitalist societies. But another way of life is possible: a society that places people first. Over things, over material possessions, then you can have the transformation that would make uh, twelve thousand people volunteer to help Africa fight the Ebola virus back in 2014. Uh, Cuba selected 250, but there were twelve thousand that volunteered, even though there was a risk to their own health and life associated with that. And that kind of attitude, you know, it, you know, is not characteristic at all of, of of any capitalist societies that I'm aware of. And I'm thinking of places like Britain, Canada, the U.S., etc. And so, uh, you know, it's the you know level of education that people have, and also the fact that uh, that uh, Cuba's trying to build a society in which human life is primary. And uh, and the suffering that the Cuban the Cubans bear collectively, it's not just those at the bottom that suffer, when there are shortages or there's a blockade, uh, you know, impeding the development of their country. Everybody shares in that burden. Yeah, but you know, also Brother right. Africa, uh, there's a certain kind of. On an interpersonal level, there's a certain amount of humiliation that goes along with growing up in a country like America. Um, when we talk about humili- humiliation on an interpersonal level, keep in mind how you treat it to a large extent depends on what kind of access you have to money. 
the 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 more access you have to large 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 uh, large uh, uh, large amounts of money, then the less like the less humiliation you 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 you're privy to, and so I think this is a humiliation that eventually wears on people. So in other words, for example, you have a job and you have to uh, to keep that job, you have to put up with all kinds of dignities because the people above you understand that you know uh, they can do anything to you because you, know, you got to have that money in terms of to exist. And so the kind of humiliation you have to continue. With. And so normally the way in which people deal with humiliation, they use drugs, they drink, or they, or, or, or they become depressed. They have various ways, various mechanisms in terms of dealing with that humiliation. But occasionally the humiliation needs to a point in which they, the people's psychological state is such that they can't handle it, and they go off and end up killing people or shooting people or whatever. But, it's, but uh, the capitalist system is uh, directly implicated in terms of that kind of mindset. I'm mindful of the fact that in France recently uh, they uh, they uh, took some uh, corporate heads to court, you know, for the abuse of their workers. You know, often they engage in all kinds of games in terms of like when they're trying to get rid of you, they engage in all kinds of games in terms of getting rid of you, right? They know there's no justification for getting rid of you, but they got to find some reason to get rid of you. Because simply say, well, maybe their position is that, well, we can make more profit if we just eliminate your position. And so what they do as opposed to saying, listen, uh, you know, uh, we saw we got to let you go. What the profitability is, it could be great if we let you go, so we're going to let you go. They don't do that. They play games, right? So they figure out ingenious ways in terms of getting rid of you. So in France, as a, as a result of that, that game playing, uh, people's, uh, uh, people, were, were, uh, people were having problems in terms of, ex- you know, uh, extreme anxiety, you know, depression. Uh, people were killing themselves. And the courts intervened and said, listen. Someone brought a case against the corporations, and the courts accepted it. And they actually ruled that those corporate heads that were responsible for that kind of um, uh, demigration, that kind of uh, exploitation of people in the workplace, are guilty. Not only did they find them a huge amount of money, but a lot of them actually went to jail. Isn't that interesting? Can you imagine in America where these, 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 these corporate types do these, these game playing and submit people to all this kind of um, – all this kind of uh, stress, submit them to all this kind of indignities on a daily on a daily basis, actually being penalized for what they're doing, it won't happen in America. It simply won't happen in America because in America, as Brother Anthony alluded to, it's a dog eat dog kind of world, and this is what and this is this is the kind of world that they want because they understand that as the top dogs, they don't have to worry about you know uh, any kind of uh, coercion coming from dogs at the bottom. In fact, they're the big dogs, so they control who gets cursed, who gets expo- exploited, who gets used, who gets abused. So clearly, uh, the philosophically, Cuba is different in the sense that it understands, you know, that no human being should be subjected to unnecessary stress, you know, for the sake of sake of the bottom line, or for the sake simply because you have power, you're gonna ex- you're gonna exploit people simply because you have the power to exploit them. So Cuba philosophically has a different way in terms of how human beings are viewed. So will America get there at some point? Maybe. But it's going to be a long road because until people begin to understand that uh, that this kind of exploitation that takes place in the workplace doesn't have to exist, until they get to that point and understand that, they'll continue to accept it under guise that well, it's all part of the job, and it's not has nothing to do, do has nothing to do with the job. So clearly, there's a big philosophical difference between Cuba and the U.S. Keep well, on the balance. Yes, good, good, brother Jabari. You were questioning in terms of the conditions of why there's a cauldron of violence in the United States. You have to understand capitalism at its core is balanced by design. Since its inception, anything that capitalism wanted, it got through um, violent means. 
Nothing they did is original. They borrow other people's knowledge and put their own spin on it. And then when it comes to the resources they need, they don't produce their own. They go and they take and take and take. Why else do you have situations like Starbucks um, causing damage to the environment um, in the Amazon for the major coffee company? Why else would you have these computer companies that um, can't help but keep themselves in Africa so that they can get the raw parts needed for computers for little or nothing? And the thousand dollars we pay here, while it's a hefty price, doesn't compare to how in Africa they're paying three and four times for the price of the electronics where the resources come from. So when you look at these kinds of situations, you gotta understand that's what capitalism is all about. It's about using balance to force people to embrace it. Not about creating a situation where it's humane, but it's about forcing people to buy into what we want or facing consequences. I think it's important to remember that capitalism is is alienating, a very alienating uh, political economy that basically people are frustrated and feeling exploited and uh, and just don't identify with 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 their work. They're they're making wages, they're making money, and not producing products or services per se. But their focus is is, is very uh, um, compartmentalized, and uh, and so you know, capitalism is a very very alienating society. And socialism brings about consciousness, political consciousness, and people are mobilized to to get involved, to helping each other, and it's a it's a much more humane system. Thank you. on the path of the balance sheet. If you look at the two balance sheets, one one of the many things you also find in terms of socialization of people within two societies, you find one society where the citizens are being executed and shot down by the same so-called police forces where they're supposed to serve and protect. Whereas in another in the other society, you find that less than maybe one or two people are affected by any kind of gun, gun wound inside the society. So why is it that in Cuba the people are not afraid of their the police establishment while in the US you have a large sector of your people they it, they, it, they 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 operate on the field when it comes to um their so called law establishment. How do y'all explain that dichotomy in terms of when one won't talk about the two types of systems and whether or not if this country is worthy to um, learn from? Well, it gets it gets it gets to it gets to ideology. Uh in America, you know, uh that's a philosophy which says that um you know might makes right. And if you give in if if you if you in if you live in a system you know, uh you know, with, with that as a as a motto, then you gotta understand, you know, that it's only justifiable, you know, that those with the power use it to to, to, to bend others to their will. And so when you have a situation where the police kill people not only is it justified by the system, but in fact, it's desired. It's, it's desired. And so, so when we talk about the context of capitalist system, we talk about you know power makes everything right. Then anybody who questions that power have to die, because the power in its, of itself is more important than anything else. And so those, so those um, uh, externalities like you know, uh, uh, you know, the right to be treated fairly, the right to be 
to be treated as a human being, those things have no 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 relevance in the context of capitalist society. And this is what we've got to understand. So in Cuba, what you have essentially what you say is what they say is that well, as a human being, you know, you're in, 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 in endowed with certain rights as a human being, and so therefore those rights are sacrosanct. So therefore, we're not going to do anything that's going to violate you as a human being. And so when we confront you, it's very you know in, in a respectful way. When I come at you, we got power, we got weapons, so we can talk to you like you're a dog, treat you like you're nobody. In Cuba's position is that, no, 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 you're human. Nothing changes that fact. You know what I mean? I approach you, I'm doing my job, I'm approaching you, but I'm going to do it with respect. And as a consequence, then people respect, people respect, uh, people respect law enforcement. You know, a long time ago, you know, about, about you know, 15, 20 years ago, it used to be like that in, in, in the U.K., where the where the where the, uh, where the cops are actually when they when they approach you they're very very respectful, and I was always amazed whenever I was in in England or I stopped in England on the way to to move to Africa, I was always amazed in terms of you know how polite they were in terms of you know um, excuse me sir is that your baggage over there blah blah, blah you know blah blah and the way they interact with the public, but of course that's all historic now they adopted the U.S. model in which it's all about you know might makes right, so therefore now with the, with the implementation of weaponry in the U.K. it's all about you know, you move and I tell you to move. If not, you know, I'll, I'll beat you up or I'll shoot you, I'll do whatever. So it's a different ballgame now. But in Cuba, it doesn't have that problem. They still maintain that the sanctity of, of human life, the respect for human life, uh, governs everything they do. And so the interaction between law enforcement and, 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 the, and the citizenry is always one of respect. And so, therefore, that's so we can't realistically, given the philo- philosophical backdrop in America, to expect that these people who think power makes Power, right? I mean, power. Power makes everything right. We can't really expect them to treat people with, with humanity. It's simply not going to happen. Not in a, in a capitalist context. Mm-hmm. And bear in mind too that under a socialist society, it is the masses of the people that rule. When socialism is fully developed, so therefore, uh, the police, uh, uh, in, in a case of a socialist society. Uh, the police actually protect and serve the people. That is their primary function, because it, uh, because the people have the uh, the political and economic power in a socialist society. Whereas in a capitalist society, the police only exist to, per, to, to per, per, protect the property of the one percent. He belonged to land and balance sheet, the assets and liabilities. Can we explain the issue of or the phenomenon in Cuba? The people have a longer life expectancy now, more so than what you have in the U.S. Can we explain the contradiction that there's a higher real estate rate in Cuba than what it is in the United States? Can you explain that the people are just a lot more conscious and know more about world, world affairs than your average so-called American citizen in America? How do we reconcile those contradictions? Well, you 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 reconcile, you reconcile them when it, when the masses of people in America come to the, to to realization, you know that they're, that they're being screwed. I think that that realization is, is slowly beginning to permeate the minds and the thinking of a lot of people in the society, but we're not quite there yet. But clearly, you know, Cuba uh, focuses on humanity, uh, speaks values in terms of you know everything they do. Uh, with the humanity in, in, in mind, and so therefore, as a, as a consequence, you know, people are not subjected uh, to the kind of stress they're subjected to in America. 
So when we talk about longevity in terms of living, you know, in America, then we understand that the kind of stress, the day-to-day humiliation, the uh, the, the struggle for survival is very real in America. And so, therefore, people continue with that on a day-to-day level. Of course, it's going to have a deleterious impact on your health. It's going to have a very negative impact on your health. And so, therefore, we can anticipate that uh, you know the U.S. Uh, um, longevity in terms of life has been declining over the last 10 years, and it's directly attributable to a capitalist system. And the same thing is true when we talk about the U.K., when we talk about Spain, when we talk about Italy, or any of those places. The same is true. And so it does. So so you so 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 we can say that the the, the application of capitalism you know, has dire consequences for people who practice capitalism. And so therefore, you know, uh, you know, one of the things that I, I you know I keep in mind if you contrast most of Europe with what's happening in Germany, then it's a totally different ballgame. It's quite different in Germany because Germany employs a lot of socialist principles. And so therefore, the level of stress, the kind of humiliation people are have to continue on a daily basis, considerably less in Germany compared to the rest of Europe. As a consequence, German economy is doing quite well relative to the rest of Europe, and that's because of what we talk about in terms of you know the sort of tenets of capitalism, and how it negatively you know impacts on people's lives. So Cuba is a much better place to live in terms of longevity, uh, much 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 quieter, much stress-free. Uh, people get along together, you know, uh, the kind of animosity toward one another, you know, is considerably less. Uh, you know, so this kind of thing in America, where you know, where with 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 the, with the, with the animosity to the level where, you know, uh, people literally could kill each kill, people literally kill one another simply because you know someone looked at them. Uh, so clearly, when we got some problems in society, but it's going to take the people in America to come to the realization that society could be organized differently. But that's not going to happen with with, with you no know, without organization. So we have to have the organization to bring that to into reality. Mm. I would add I would add also the availability of health care in Cuba. Uh I went to a program yesterday in which they launched this book called Red Zone, Cuba and the Battle Against Ebola in West Africa. And one of the things I learned was that Cuba has um has one doctor uh for every hundred and fifty persons in Cuba. And uh every Every locality has at least a doctor and a nurse. There's a medical facility in virtually every neighborhood. So even if you, even if you're in a, whether you're in a rural area or an urban area, you're not that far away from uh, from from healthcare if you need it. And uh, that's a big contrast in terms of uh, uh, most capitalist countries where the where medical personnel tend to become uh, be concentrated in the cities or in the wealthy areas of uh, of society because that's where the money is. So I want to add that to uh to the points that uh Haki had made earlier. Oh, this discussion make me reflect by minutes make me reflect back in the days where Brother Kwame Trey used to always say America is the most stupid, the most backward, and the most ignorant group of people in the world. Because it has a tendency to talk about things they know nothing about. For example, I was talking to an educator one day, and she was arguing with me about why she was against communism, against socialism. And I asked the sister, and she was an educator, how many books has she read on communism? And you know what she told me? She hasn't. Now, what can one conclude from a statement from an educator who is discussing a subject matter in which she knows nothing about? 
How do we reduce people like that to get people to respond in spontaneity? Well, Brother Africa, I'm telling you, you, you're a better man than me. Because the moment you say to me, you make an absurd statement, and I ask you about it, and I ask you how many books have you read on the subject <laughs> to, to sort of elucidate in the point that you're making, you tell me none. You know what? At that point, the discussion is over. I'm gone. You know, I look at them and I walk off. I, I, just, I, can't, I, can't, I don't have that kind of patience. You know, I don't have that kind of patience. I really don't. I mean, you know what I'm saying? You can tell me that you that, that you can make an ignorant statement, then you can confirm that you're ignorant by telling me you haven't read a damn thing. Well, I'm going to talk with you. What's the point? I mean, I, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. If I'm part of a forum, I have to discuss these issues, then I'm, I'm, I'm all open to whatever kind of um, inane comments that may come out. I mean, you might say some outrageous things, and I'm willing to deal with that, you know, given, given, you know, given that, uh, that context. But if you're talking about just the street on my one-to-one and somebody make an absurd statement in terms of, you know, socialism or communism is bad, and I ask them, so what books have you read to, to preface your, your, the, the, points that you, the points that you're making? You tell me none. Brother Africa, I got to tell you, you know, the conversation is over. I look at them, and I shake my head, and I'm gone. I won't even say talk to you later. I just, I just will look at them, shake my head, and walk off. Because that kind of thing you simply can't dignify. But you're right. Only in America where people can be ignorant and proud of their ignorance. Only in America. And, 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 and ironically, that reputation in terms of what it is to be American exists throughout the world. People actually think because you were born in America that you're ignorant. And they treat you as such. <laughs> and they treat you as such. Until you, until you dispel this notion that you're ignorant, and then they go, oh, 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 yeah, well, you're one of the ones who think. <laughs> you know, you know there are not men in America who actually think, so you're one of the ones who actually think. And so, therefore, we like you. But you're, right, you're obviously and, correct, Brother Africa, but, but I, I got to I gotta commend you for your, your, for, your, your, for, your, uh, for your stamina. I mean, to actually sit there and continue to try to engage the discussion. But somebody tell you they know absolutely nothing about nothing, and they're going to have, have a discussion on socialism or communism. Uh, you, you're better man than me. <laughs> but you know, Brother Haki, but Brother, hold on one second, Brother Maurice. Brother Haki, I did ask an engagement to try to prove a point to her where the underlying uh, issue was who is more indoctrinated in t- between the two types of systems of people. And I did assure her that she has been indoctrinated more so than, um, you know, people in, in, in social societies because. And she had to find a admit to me that I was right, but, that, you know, she shouldn't be speaking on something she didn't know nothing about. She was guilty of that. So, you know, I, I just thought <laughs> it's, it's amazing that this is the same kind of discussion and decorum that's going on now around this whole issue of Cuba inside the United States. And 95, 99.9% of the folks know little or nothing about Cuba, but yet they can try to participate in these kind of discussions. And we don't want to com- com- compete. We don't want to continue to co- to repeat these kind of errors that the enemy is imposing on us. But that's all. That's the point I was just raised and shared that with our listening audience. But go ahead, brother. Who is that? Maurice, want to say something? I would have. Uh, I, 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 I was laughing at, at uh, Brother Hackey's response, but I would have. I would have entertained her. I would have followed up and asked her, "Where did you get these sentiments from towards Cuba if you didn't read no books?" Where are you getting? Where are you getting this? Um, you know your your feedback from. Where are you getting this uh, emotion, uh, if you will? Where are you getting all this from? If you didn't read no books, if you ain't, if you ain't even read a damn newspaper, I mean, like, what did you? Where, where, where are you getting it from? And I and I already, I don't want to be, I don't want to act like her arrogant, 
uh, that's the, that's what commerce, um, that's what the capitalist system or propaganda do. They they make they they don't they don't only make you ignorant to the fact. They make you arrogant in your ignorance. <laughs> but I don't want to sound arrogant, but by saying that I already know where she get this type of thinking from, because it's quite obvious that you got she get this she she's a good she's a good um American citizen. Uh, she's good American citizen um, because she she uh, has been um, she has been uh, what they were indoctrinated in this American uh, belief uh, about uh, or a sentiment towards socialism. She has been in indoctrinated in, um, to, to a T uh, to that to that emotion. And most uh, unfortunately, um, panel and fellow comrades, most of our uh, our community has been indoctrinated in that belief. Well, I shouldn't say that, but but some, 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 some are coming around. I, I don't want to say most, but some, well, most are, but some are coming around. But uh, I, I even have it in my own family member, man. Like people voted for uh, some of my family members voted for Biden just because he he was the vice president under Obama, and uh, I'm like, oh my god. But you know, we, you know, I, that's how that that just to follow up to you to your. Uh, Comment to Brother Hakeem's comment and to, to yours, uh, Brother After. I would have said that I would have honestly sit right there and entertain this, this crazy, uh, <laughs> the crazy fool. But thank you. And last but not least, panelists, in terms of speaking to our list of audience, what's going on in our world and the community is I want to get y'all respond to this particular situation. And we're talking about how the U.S. government has no respect for its people. Nationally, locally, regionally, you name it. Recently there was a report that came out on one of the major um, news networks that Richmond, Virginia City has made the decision of allowing wastewater to intentionally to be dumped in the James River where the city get its drinking water and stated that they cannot do nothing about it until 2035. Other Richmond is now the next new Flint, Michigan. How do we tolerate such injustices of governmental agencies and entities making decisions to intentionally put the people in harm's way. Now you have the flood, you have sewage water intentionally being dumped, for some reason or another, all of a sudden, into the Jane River in which the city gets its drinking water from. And there's no outcry, no one saying anything. What is that saying about how they view the citizens in the area of Richmond, Virginia, and that's part of the area? Panelists. Yeah, well, real quickly, we run out of time, but I think that um, the position of those positions of power is that the citizenry is esoteric. Their, their existence is not important. For them, it's all about the money. And as a matter of fact, brother, when you talk about Richmond, Virginia, brother Africa, then you got to understand that the system, that that that, uh, that drainage system was designed, that any time there's a, there's, a, there's, there's a problem in terms of you know, a lot of excessive rain, there's an overflow, so the sewage goes directly into the drinking water in the, in the James River. So therefore, the people who designed the system understood that, but refused to invest dollars to update that system to make sure that they have a component to deal with the overflow in terms of sewage. So clearly, the the, the lives of the people are not important, but more importantly, 
the people have to begin to understand, you know, that your lives are of some value, but you have to understand, first and foremost, what's going on and then take a stand. And I'll close with that. Anyone else like to respond to that situation? Well, and for uh, ask another thing. <coughs> Jabari, go ahead. Another thing you have to take into consideration when you look at the um, leadership of Richmond, Virginia, is there have been a number of public works-related issues that constituents um, have tried to reach out to the various local agencies, and it got to the point where the mayor had to issue a statement and said that they were to call a specific hotline in regards to addressing it, not to call the person that was directed particularly regarding those um, public work issues. And the problem with that kind of dishonesty is that nothing's going to get done if you can't get to the person that's supposed to resolve it. So it really makes you think, well, this going on, what other kind of um, shenanigans and backdoor um, um, tomfoolery is going on if you have this happening as well? And to add to this phenomenon, they also reporting that if you had coronavirus, they are telling people do not go to the emergency room because you will affect the people who work there. So what are the people supposed to do? Those problems that you're talking about exist throughout the country. Uh, for the longest time, uh, the people with, who control all the wealth refused to invest in infrastructure of the country. And as a consequence, this is precisely what's happening. As far as the, the, the emergency room, that is so absurd. I mean, where, where else are they going to go? I mean, they have no other choice but to go to the emergency room. I mean, you know, they can't self-treat. I mean, you know, because they, number one, they're not sure if, in fact, it's coronavirus or something else. And if it is coronavirus, I mean, they don't have the knowledge or the know-how in terms of treating it. So, therefore, you know, it, but, but it's, it doesn't surprise me. It's, you know, it's all about the bottom line. It's for, for the people in society, it's all about the capitalists. It's all about money. In terms of the, the, the ills that are inflicted upon the people, it's not really important to them, whether they're talking about sewage in the water or people not having access to health care. So it, clearly, you know, capitalism is a mess, and until people understand that fundamental reality and fight for something different, the, the beat goes on. Well, that's the instructions they've been given. Not to go to the emergency room, so people need to start thinking for themselves. But go ahead, um, Quick question, quick question, quick question. This is my first time. Um, I'm not shocked about it. Ben, uh, ben, her, ben raised up that John James River, you don't fish from it, you don't drink the water out of the tap. But uh, where, where, where is this, um, where can I find this source? If you go back last, last part, real Monday, Tuesday, on I believe it was Channel 8, 5 o'clock news, they made a report and talk about that. It should be in the archive. Oh, okay. Wow, well, it's kind of funny that they ain't put it in the – well, they don't want the people to know it anyhow, but thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, just put in, just put in search engine, Richmond, Virginia, uh, wastewater treatment problems, something like that. It'll come up. It'll pop up. Yeah, because I'm just kind of – I'm just kind of – because I get the uh, Richmond Times Dispatch every day, and it's kind of funny to me that they ain't mentioned it in there. But I, I'm definitely going to uh, look it up. Thank, thank you. Thank you, brother. Thank you. So anyway, Pat and listen to our listening audience, we're in Lusu, Africa on the move. We're in the seat. We'll take the heat. we find stand behind it. We've been talking about um, what's going on in our world in the community as well as expressing uh, and articulating this whole thing tonight, which will give towards part three, not free, what's happening to us. So we give you some kind of indications 
from our experience and perspective, what is happening to us, what we represent, and we can see we are not free as a people. And uh, what we're going to do right now, we're going to close out our program by asking each one of our panelists tonight, just give us a one-minute um, summary of their final thoughts for the night. And we start right now with Brother Moses. Brother Moses, your final thoughts for the night. Yes, it's been interesting. Uh, uh, thank you for another interesting show. Um, I think, you know, the situation in Richmond sounds pretty pretty bad. It sounds like um, Detroit. Uh um, you know, this capitalist, no, no, there's nothing that they won't do. Uh, but they even sell you the rope to hang them with. So we, we have to use the contradictions that they present us and, and, and use them to our advantage. Uh, anyway, knowledge is power and we have to keep, keep, uh, speaking truth to power. Thank you. Thank you, brother Moses. Brother Jababa, you'll find the thoughts for the night. Okay, while we're waiting for Brother Jabari, we go with Brother Maurice. Brother Maurice, your final thoughts for tonight. Uh, this, uh, thank you so much for the wealth of information from fellow uh, panelists. I thank you so much. I learn a lot. I learn every time I listen or participate uh, on the show. I, I learn a lot, and I, I just wanted to uh, thank you so much for having this panel and having this uh, program, this platform. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Maurice. Colin. Going back one more time, are you there, Brother Jabari? If not, yes, we're going here with Brother Excuse me, pardon. Um, I'm having technical difficulties. It's important to be diligent about being organized and galvanizing the people about um, what is attacking them from every angle. Because this isn't a time to um, turn the blind eye because of every angle. There's something that's counterintuitive to our existence. Peace. Thank you, Jabari, for your contribution to today's program. And next, we're going to do Brother Haki. I mean, Brother Anthony, your final thoughts for tonight. Brother Anthony. Are you with us, Brother Anthony? Your final thoughts for tonight. That we, uh, get, that we get organized. That we form an, a permanent political organization that is working for people's liberation. And also want to announce that the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC, and the National Council of Arab Americans are organizing African Liberation Day and Nakba Palestine Day 2020 on May 23rd, 2020, under the banner, Not Yet Uhuru, Not Yet Freedom, Not Yet Liberation. Um uh, in the stance um, to counter um, in opposition to Zionism, women's oppression, neocolonialism, and settler colonialism. And uh, for and please visit our website at www.a-aprp-gc.org or call us at 202. 202- Two four six four eight nine six for more information about African Liberation Day, Palestine Day, and how you can help us support the program. Thank you, Brother Anthony and Brother Haki. You found the thoughts for tonight. 
Yeah, real quickly, uh, African Awareness Week going to Cuba. This trip takes place July 24th to July 31st. For more information, call us at 804-549-7492 or article code 202-714-9435 or email us at African Awareness Association, all one word, number two, at gmail.com. We encourage you to go see Cuba for yourself firsthand. And finally, Brother Africa, I just want to say that the, the level of violence, uh, the indifference uh, to human suffering in the society is, outstanding, is, is, is amazing. And I think that one of the things that when we talk about the kind of indifference that exists among classes, uh, African community can ill afford in terms of these kind of, uh, these kind of, these kind of conflicts. We've got to understand once and for all that we are firmly you know, uh, in this together. And if we don't understand that fundamental reality, then I don't know what's going to happen to us in the future. You know, recently there's a, a group called the Order of the Ninth Angle. And now when we talk about regular Nazism or regular, regular KKK types, now we're talking about a different, a different kind of, uh, a different kind of supremacists. This one incorporates not only hatred but also Satanism. So the notion that just destruction of people is just a good thing, and that it runs uh, throughout their philosophy, scares the hell out of me. So I think that we got to understand that you know whether we want to face it or not, that we got a lot of people out here who advocate a lot of very, a lot of very uh, destructive kinds of things, in particular. Those who perceive as powerless, those who perceive as minorities, those who perceive to as, as weak, are going to be are going to be uh, the, the beneficiaries of this kind of violence. And so we got to understand that the, the the struggle is real, and we understand what's coming at us down the road. And having said that, brother Africa, I always encourage people to unravel the matrix because without understanding what it is we're up against, there's no way to format meth um, strategy. So having said that, brother Africa, you have a good night. And I'd like to thank all of our panelists and analysts and the listening audience for allowing us to come to your home this evening where we can speak truth to power and to provide you with some information so you can use it as a tool for liberation, help liberate your people, and help liberate humanity from all the various forms of oppression. Yes, we do want to call it to your attention that um, we are not free, and we hope that we have shared a little bit about what's going on we're in this world, we're in our community. So in essence, what is happening to us, not only as a people, but as a part of humanity. We hope that we have shared this, some aspect of some information let you know what is happening to us. I hope you can take and use it to help give a better understanding of our world, your place in the world, and how we can how we can change it. So until next time, we see you next week, same time, same station. And remember, we are Africa on the move. We leave you with some music inspiration from Dead Press. You have the emergence in human society of this thing that's called the state. What is the state? The state is an organized bureaucracy. It is the police department. It is the army, the navy. It is the prison system, the courts, and what have you. This is the state. It is a repressive organization. But the state... And you, well, you know, you've got to have the police, because if there were no police, look at what you'd be doing to yourselves. You'd be killing each other if there were no police. But the reality is, the police become necessary in human society. Yeah.
jail at the precinct, you know how we think. Organize the hood under the I Ching banners. Red, black, and green instead of gang bandanas. FBI spying on us through the radio antennas. And I'm hitting cameras in the street like watching society. With no respect for the people's right to privacy. I take a slug for the cause like Huey P. While all you fake niggas try to copy Master P. I want to be free to live, able to have what I need to live. Bring the power back to the street where the people live. We sick of working for crumbs and filling up the prisons. Dying over money and relying on religion for help. We do for self like ants in a colony. Organize the wealth into a socialist economy. A way of life based off the common needs. And all my comrades is ready. We just spreading the seed. Yeah, Live a third of his life in a jail cell Cause the world is controlled by the white male And the people don't never get justice And the women don't never get respected And the problems don't never get solved And the jobs don't never pay enough So the rent always be late Can you relate? No more bondage, no more political monsters, no more secret space launches. Government departments started it in the projects, material objects, thousands up in the closets. Could have been invested in the future for my comrades. Battle contacts, primitive weapons out in combat. Many never come back, pretty niggas be running with gas. Rabbit get shot in they back, then fire back. We're tired of that. Corporations hiring blacks, denying the facts, exploiting us all over the map. That's why I write the shit I write in my rap. It's documented, I'm Every day of the week, I live in it, breathing it It's more than just fucking believing it I'm holding in one, rolling up my sleeves and shit It's C-Lo for push-ups now, many headed for one conclusion Niggas ain't ready for revolution You're having blackmail, live a third of his life in a jail cell Cause the world is controlled by the white male And the people don't never get justice And the women don't never get respected And the problems don't never get solved and the jobs don't never pay enough So the rent always be late Can you relate? We living in a police state I need it. 
I'm a 
of the Middle East in this modern time. You can't help but say the word Palestine. People there have lost their land. Some have lost their home. They live in other countries, their freedom almost gone. Palestine, Palestine. needs her freedom. Needs freedom. Palestine, Palestine. Needs, our needs our love. Needs our love. Palestine, Palestine. needs her freedom. Needs Palestine, Palestine needs our love. There seems to be no answer to give us the reason why people cannot live so no one has to die. We've got to take a stand for freedom, take a stand for truth. Take a stand for justice, that's what we've got to do. Cause Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Needs freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love, needs our love. You're one black man who went to a good essentially white high school in the city of New York. That's you right. obviously had had a good education. That's a good many of the people who work with you here in SNCC can say the same thing. And we're saying that... And you're a black man who came from a New York ghetto. And we're saying that there's a system that allows for one or two black people to get out. And that that's the rationale for keeping other black people down. And it has nothing to do with the unwillingness or inability of the Negro to help himself and to work hard. That's the rationale that the reason why black people aren't this is because they're lazy, unambitious, stupid, have rhythm, and they eat watermelon. You call on the black man to refuse to respond to his draft call. That's correct. And we will continue to do so while there's breath in our bodies. Do you really believe that the military policies of the United States are designed to exterminate the black man, as you've said? I most certainly do. I look at the recent statement by Racist McNamara, who says that 30% of the people that are going to be drafted now under his new system are going to be black people. And that's nothing more than black urban removal. The white liberal who supported civil rights for so long with time and effort and money, what is your feeling about him? Well, I think that there's no reason why they should stop supporting the movement now. I certainly feel that if they're genuinely interested in black people, and since black people have charted a course, they believe in that program, they will continue to give to it. They need more white people to civilize whites. They need them to civilize the savages in Cicero who throw rocks and bricks at a peaceful and lovable black man like Dr. Martin Luther King, who would not even hurt a fly. Well, that's very important, because our uncles and our fathers and our older brothers died in World War I fighting Nazism to protect the Poles, and those same Poles turn around and throw rocks and bricks at us after we died to save their lives. 